Thank you for joining us for this DP City Church podcast. Connect, grow, serve. Good morning. Hold your Bibles up. You know what we're going to say. You ready? This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. has the power to change lives. And I declare by faith that my life and the life of those around me will be changed by the Word. All right. Uh, looking forward to what we're going to do today. Go to John, Gospel of John, chapter 16. John 16. Um, today we're going to do part two in our series. We're in a series headed for Easter. We're in a series headed for what God wants to do, not only to us, but through us. Um, last week I shared with you um, about bearing the truth, and we talked about what Jesus said about the truth and about the Scriptures. Uh, and in that process, um, we are moving towards Palm Sunday. Now, next Sunday's Palm Sunday. We're three Sundays out. And then Easter follows that, and we all know that. But um, today I want to do part two about bearing the truth. Today we're going to add to that, and we're going to call this bearing the truth backwards. How do you bear the truth backwards? Well, that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And last week I talked to you about Jesus discussing faith as a grain of mustard seed. Remember that? And we talked about the fact that a mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. It's barely hard to see. And yet, it turns into be an enormous tree, an explosive tree. And Jesus said that if your faith becomes like a mustard seed, it can become giant like the tree. And I, I gave you some pictures of the tree. They're huge and they're enormous in the process. And so today, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God in part two and projecting the kingdom of God into our lives as it relates to the celebration we're entering into in the next couple of weeks. And projecting the kingdom of God in our life. God's kingdom is obviously out somewhere else, but it's also right here. When you invite Jesus into your life, he takes his kingdom and his government and places it inside us. And so, in the process, we learn about faith as it relates to the kingdom of God and the power of God in the world that we're living in. How many of you believe this world needs a move of God, huh? Come on. So the kingdom of God is about truth and power of the kingdom as it relates to us today. And, and uh, put your faith in what really makes a difference in the life of the people around you and what we're called to be to the people around us. How can we influence people and not just be a Christian, but influence others with our Christianity? How can our Christianity become so viable and so relevant that it actually makes different, a difference in the life of other people? That's very, very important. So in John 16, Jesus makes some very clear statements, and I want you to look at John 16, verse 12. And watch what he says. He says, for I have many things, I read this to you last week, many things I want to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, he says, I have so much I want to communicate, 
But I can't say it to you because you're not able to handle. You can't take it right now. Now, that's very important because the word bear there is an interesting word, and I shared it with you last week. Last week, it means to not only believe a truth, but endure it. How many of you know it's one thing to believe a truth in the Scriptures? It's another thing to live it. Come on. There's a difference between believing it and then living it. And so that word bear there means to believe, to endure, to literally take the truth. You don't, I, most people get the idea, I just received the truth. No, no, no. There's more to the truth than just you receive it. You take it. You get a hold of it. You seize it. And the word literally, bear, also means to walk out. It's not enough that you know it. It's not enough that we know what God's Word says. This is what Jesus is saying to His disciples, which is to us today. He says it's not enough that you believe it. What are you doing with it? And so He's saying bear the truth, and it's not just say I believe it. It's easy to wear the T-shirt with what we say every Sunday. This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. So how do we bear it? Now, at verse 13, watch what he says. He says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, who is that? That's the Holy Spirit, good, okay, is come, he will guide you, watch this, guide you into the truth. In other words, he's not just going to throw the tooth at you, he's going to drag you into it. He's going to apply it to your life. And so he says, uh, Into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So in other words, he's not only going to speak about what's going on right now. He says to them, you're going to bear the truth, and I'm going to tell you things that are coming. And I'm going to forewarn you. And so the word guide there, like I've said, the word guide is a very specific Greek word, and it means to teach you. So in other words, it's not just, come on, follow me. Come on, follow me. Let's, let's go this way. It means, listen, I'm going to teach you as you walk this out. And you're, if you're not teachable, it's not going to work. You're going to have to go to Holy Ghost class. You know when it starts? When you get up in the morning. You go to class. And then when you go to bed at night, you go to another class. How many of you know, while you're asleep, the Holy Ghost is still working? Come on, He's still working. He's still working. He's still working in your life. And so He's trying to say to the disciples, I have so much I want to tell you, but you guys can't handle it right now. So it's incumbent on us to be ready to say, okay, what do I have to do to be able to handle it? How can I bring myself to a place? So now, now notice when he says in verse 12, he says, I have many things. You can't bear them now. He says, I got so much to download on you. And I really want to put it on you, but you will, you will, you will see, you will understand, you're going to experience. I, I, I'm, I'm shackled right now. To do what I want to do to you, Bob, because of you. 
you're the problem. And it's whether you're ready and willing to be able and uh, uh, cooperative with me and what I want to do. So in the many things, he says, um, I, I, I now want to speak to you. I want to show you things. I want you to be hungry to know the things that I want to say to you. So as we approach Resurrection Sunday, can we agree together that this is not just going to be like every other Resurrection Sunday? Palm Sunday next week is not going to be the average Palm Sunday. I want more. Who wants more? Okay. Are you ready to bear it? Okay, because that means you're saying, okay, Lord, you do whatever you want to do, and I promise to cooperate. Okay, come on, that's, that's pretty scary, okay? So today, let's take another look into what we're going to be celebrating in the next couple of weeks in terms of Palm Sunday, and then obviously Resurrection Sunday, because he says, I've got a lot of things that you can't bear. So I want to tell you some hard things because I want to teach you how to figure out what really happened on Palm Sunday and on Resurrection Sunday. And so you're going to have to receive it, you're going to have to be ready, and you're going to have to be willing. So if you're ready and you're willing, say, I'm ready. I'm, ready. I'm, willing. I'm willing. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So last Sunday we talked about the man from Gadara. And when we talked about the, the man from Gadara, if you weren't with us, please, please go back and listen to that because it's elemental to what we're going to talk about here this morning in the next just a few minutes before we go before the Lord's table. And please review it because Jesus went onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the storm and, and, uh, and all the aspects of what happened with the man from Gadara are relevant for today. And I want you to see how they're relevant. What happened at Gadara is relevant to what would happen two years, not quite two years later, no, a year and a half later, where Jesus would end up on the cross and we'd be celebrating the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. There's some equations between what happened with the man from Gadara. And I want to be careful not to overdo this, but to be able to see the distant future and what God is ready to do when the reality of what happened to the man in Gadara and what happened to Jesus really kind of blend together in some ways. The similarities are really kind of, I would say, awkward. Every time I've looked at this and studied this, it's, it's, it's just been mind-boggling to me how what happened to the man in Gadara and what happened to Jesus on Calvary and his crucifixion. You see, and I'm just going to throw some things out for you. I'm not going to do all the details of it. I just want you to just consider thoughts like this. Remember the man from Gadara? He was fettered. Remember that? Last week, if you were with us, he was fettered. Fetters are leg chains. He had leg chains. This is a picture of ancient actually Roman leg chains. It was a shackle. And when you were in it, you didn't have any liberty. Well, it really wasn't a chain. You were locked in. The man from Gadara was locked in, couldn't move. 
Jesus' feet were crucified, locked in and couldn't move. Jesus was whipped with a cat of nine tails, little pieces of bone. The man from Gadara cut himself over and over with stones. Again, I'm not going to try to build a straw man. I just want you to try to capture a little bit of the picture. Jesus had a crown of thorns. The man from Gadara was, lost his mind. If you look at all the little things along the way, the loneliness of the man from Gadara as he was tortured and tortured himself by the demons, 6,000 demons. Remember I said to you last week that a Roman regiment of soldiers is 6,000 soldiers. Picture 6,000 demons inside one man and tormenting him with everything possible that they might control a whole region. All those little things, the loneliness and the shame and the sorrow, the rejection that man felt, even though it was of his own doing, it was the demons inside of him. The rejection of family and friends, feeling abandoned, feeling lonely, feeling sorrow and grief. And of course, it says he was naked. He lived a naked life. It's easy just when you read stuff like this that you remember that Jesus was totally naked. To remember that our Lord and Savior, I mean, I venture to say you and me included, if you were ordered by some immoral force to stand up, in here, stand up here and take every stitch of clothing off, what kind of shame and embarrassment? And yet they did that to our Savior, and yet this man lived it. You look at all the little nuances, the feeling of abandonment, the depression, all the pain, the sorrow that this man went through, that Jesus went through on the cross. Remember that the cross was a full-on suffering. Every sorrow, every grief, every pain of the world, he bore it all. And the man from Gadara, he didn't bear it all, but surely there was a comparison. And of course, the man from Gadara lived only in a tomb. And Jesus spent three days in a tomb for you and I. The similarities are incredible. The suffering, the pain that the man from Gadara went through was nothing. Absolutely nothing. 6,000 demons clawing at your soul living in a depression that you can't possibly imagine. The feeling of abandonment and loneliness. Isaiah 53. If you listen to Isaiah 53 and what Isaiah said in, in his prophetic announcement about what happened to Jesus, Isaiah would prophesy a thousand years earlier the very things that Jesus would feel and suffer and experience beyond what the man from Gadara. If you listen to it, he says, 
Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Just a young, innocent child. But, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form or comeliness. There was nothing beautiful about Jesus. There was nothing wonderful. People didn't look at him and go, what a handsome guy. Jesus could stand in a crowd and blend in. He had no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should even desire him. Listen to what Isaiah says about Jesus. He is despised. He's rejected of men like the man from Gadara. A man of sorrows, Gadara. Acquainted with grief, Gadara. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he, dis- he was despised, he was esteemed, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and our sorrows. And yet, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The pain, the sorrow. Isaiah goes on and he rants. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's mine. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He had none. For our peace upon him and with the many stripes we find our own healing. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the sin and iniquity of us all. That the man from Gadara's suffering is something you and I would probably never survive. And yet you understand the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the, the, the things that Jesus bore in our behalf as we go before the Lord's table and we get ready in the next couple of weeks to remember what it was all about. That it becomes fresh today. As fresh, oh God, I hate to say this, but as fresh as it was, as Mary, his mother, and John stood there at the cross and could smell fresh blood, could hear the buzz of flies seeking a place to lay their larvae. The pain, the agony, the hurt, the suffering. It's even hard to think about it. And yet, that's what belonged to you and I. That's what we deserved. And yet, so, we understand that in Jesus' sin, we understand that Jesus was on the cross He he bore our sins. He took your sin and mine. Everything you and I ever have done, ever will do. The sin from the very first sin of Adam to the very last one. It's all been put on Jesus. He bore that weight. He bore that grief. And yet while all that sin was on him, it wasn't his sin It was mine. It was yours. Everything you and I have ever done or ever will do. And so we understand 
in Jesus' sin and my sin, and you and I understand this, that the legion who tormented that man, that day when Jesus said, be gone, leave, now, 6,000 evacuate the process. 6,000 demons enter into pigs that enter into the ocean. That all that, all that, that, that torment evacuated that man at that moment. That's what we remember when we go before the Lord's table this morning. That it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus' sin that killed him. It was mine. It was my sin. It was my rebellion. It was my unwillingness to yield. And it was my sin that he had to say, Bob, you can't bear it now. I have so much I want to show you. I have so much I want to share with you. So much about myself and so much about my love and so much about joy and so much about, oh, but Bob, you can't bear it right now. But yet when we go before the Lord's table this morning, we remind ourselves that because of him, we can bear it. It's his grace and it's his mercy and it's his love. And it would cause it. And, and I got to tell you, before, before the Lord, you've got to understand that the grief and the sorrow that, that somehow maybe wants to grip us right now that our shortcomings and our temper and our, and our, and our disappointment and our forgetfulness and our, and, and our physical problems and, 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 and our worries and our financial issues, all that stuff is covered by the blood. It's covered by the precious blood of Jesus. And so... I'm sure that on the day in two weeks where Jesus was finally hanging on the cross and his open wounds from his back of a cat of nine tails while the Roman guard was whipping Jesus with 40 lashes shredding his back to the point that his, his rib cage would have been exposed, if not his lungs. That remember Legion? Do you remember Legion? You know the lead demon that Jesus cast out of the man from Gadara? I am totally persuaded that when the word got out that they were going to crucify Jesus, Legion showed up with his crew saying, it is time for payback. And he gloated along with all the other demons and Lucifer himself. Satan, Beelzebub, they gloated as Jesus hung on the cross and they gloated knowing this is our chance to get him back. And you and me. Because you see, the devil knew 
or sensed something was up. And when Jesus did what he did, while Legion and Satan, the devil himself, stood there and gloated, and Jesus And that last breath, that last bit of oxygen left his lungs and his heart seized. It was my sin. It was your sin. And evil gloated. You know they did. But they didn't have a clue about what was coming. They had no idea. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. They had no idea what was up. You know, they must have had a party. They, they were, you know, they were, they were going at it. They were going at it. And so this morning as we go before the Lord's table, no matter what your shortcomings are, you have them and so do I. No matter how wrong you've been, no matter how jacked up you could have been, or maybe even down the road will be, your sin will never be more powerful than his blood and forgiveness. None. Thank you for joining us today at DP City. We would love the opportunity to pray for you, and you could connect with us at dpcitypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to give tithes and offerings at DP City Church, you could do so on our website, www.dpcitychurch.com. We appreciate your support in this ministry and looking forward to seeing you on campus. Have a blessed day.